Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome along to the VMTV Rugby Pod. As ever, great to be joined by Alan Quinlan and Matt Williams from France. Matt, how are you? Very good, Stuart. Alan? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, looking forward to the weekend now. Yeah, should be good. We'll get on to that shortly, but if we take it back <coughs> to Nantes at the weekend, Ireland against Tonga, eight tries, very impressive, wasn't it? It was very impressive, yeah. I thought it was going to take a longer period of time in the game before Ireland kind of got their flow and and were comfortable in the game but from the from the word go they were they were superb i thought their energy um their attack shape their structure um was all really good so it was you know you could say um it was um it was one of those performances that really impressed me um given i know people some people will say that look tonga or, or struggle coming into with their warm-up games but when you look at the Tongan team on paper all their players playing at very very high level playing super rugby playing in France some playing in the UK um, a few in Japan all playing at a very top level really good players and Ireland nullified them they dealt with their physical presence their aggressive kind of line speed and, and were really efficient the enthusiasm and the energy um, to clean out breakdowns and get really quick ball and um, for Conor Murray and uh, Ireland were able to launch their attack and their set piece was really good so a lot of boxes ticked there and and, and um, they would have been very very pleased after that game to have such a convincing win. Matt the master and Johnny Sexton became Ireland's all-time point scorer record point scorer sum them up if you can surely you'd need five podcasts or 25? Uh, yeah he's uh, at his age uh, being out for five months with a, and having an operation on his leg, he's probably the best performing 10 at the tournament. I mean, that's that's pretty extraordinary. You know, he's giving, in some cases, 15 years away uh, to his, to his uh, counterparts in the same position. And he, he's a master because he makes it look easy. Even that try he scored to, um, to bring up the record, to break Ron O'Gara's record. You know, it's a classic tens try on running a supporting line where you're one pass inside the ball. You know, the first thing you say to a young 10 is what's your role after you pass the ball? What's your job? Where's your support line? Where do you go? And he was just in that role, exactly like you'd tell a 14 or 15 year old 10 to be. So he does, and that's what I mean, he does all these basics just so beautifully and so brilliantly. And like all greats, he makes it look easy. Now, we, look, I have to say something. 
there just on the whole pitch. I was really disappointed with Tonga. I thought they were, I expected a lot, lot more of them. There's no as good as Ireland played, and they, it's not taking anything away from Ireland. They did play exceptionally well. Um, I had no idea that there'd be 50 points on offer there, and there shouldn't have been. But to Ireland's credit, um, you can only play against the opposition to turn up, and they did an exceptionally good job. And Sexton has proved again. Um, why he's going to go into World Rugby's Hall of Fame. He's, um, he, he is a true great. And, you know, we should really enjoy it. We don't know how many games he's got left. We should really enjoy watching him. And all the young 10 should just study his play and how he always straightens up. He's always square. He's always a threat. And the great example of that was when he put Bundiaki in for the try. He gets the ball. You watch it in slow-mo. He turns, runs straight at the, at the try line then comes at the inside shoulder of the defender and makes the defender make a decision. Once the defender shifts his weight to cover Sexton, Sexton just pops the Bundiaki, who also runs a tight line. Again, really simple stuff, but um, that's what makes great 10, squaring up, running straight, being brave to take the ball deep towards, towards the defence before being able to pass or take an attack of yourself. Excellent kicking game and running support lines. It's um, it, it, it's he is a, a great player. We're privileged to uh, to watch him. We certainly are. Elsewhere, what about Fiji turning over Australia? Fully deserved their win and opening up that pool rightly. Yeah, it was a brilliant performance. I think from them, um, they were very effective. Uh, didn't panic. Took their penalties. Um, managed the game really, really well. I think they get. A little bit for a bit of fortune with the two Sova try, but you could argue and say Australia's try um, from Noanga Nitoasi uh, possibly should have been a penalty to Fiji. I think there was a hand on the ground playing the ball. It came loose from the rock. Great kick downfield, quick throw, and they score. Other than that, Australia didn't really show any have any sort of sustained pressure. In that Fiji 22, they didn't look like scoring tries. So I think, look, they're they're pretty blunt, and there's a lot of question marks. I know Matt will probably give us more of an analysis of what the reaction is in Australia, but you know, looking up and reading some of the papers and the headlines in Australia, people are furious there. And is it a surprise? I tell you, 12, <coughs> nearly. Well, it's probably not 12, but 10 or 11 months ago in Ireland. Played Australia in Dublin. Australia caused Ireland a fair few problems. Um, number of players injured as well. Good players that weren't there with Australia. They were kind of down to the bare bones. But I, I was thinking last November, Australia get their players back. Um, Tell you could, who was immense that day, Michael Hooper. Yeah, Michael Hooper. Yeah, there. and he's watching his studio in Australia. You know, I know he's had some issues around his his mental health and, um, but bringing one ten to to any World Cup is incredibly risky he's a bit of a maverick Cade Gordon um, very good kind of open field runner but you need some little bit of control there and structure and, and Australia just looked devoid of that they look like they're a team that have some super players in their side but they're lost and uh, their results have kind of shown that they certainly um, can show glimpses of brilliant attack and stuff like that but just overall the overall package is not good enough and that's not taken out and away from Fiji nobody is really surprised um, given what we saw against Wales and, and you know probably needed to give Wales more credit for getting over the line they could have lost that game the week before but 
this Fiji side are a very dangerous side and that was um, for any neutrals watching um, everyone would have been cheering on Fiji they love the, people love the underdog and the way they play and their attack and it was a brilliant performance for them and and Australia worryingly never really fired a shot in that game Matt they didn't fire a shot Carter Gordon hauled off to, off after 49 minutes Ben Donaldson comes into 10 Eddie Jones taking full responsibility so he said of the performance one last chance saloon this weekend against Wales but overall like Alan says Australia do have super players I'm yet to see it I think they have good players I'm not sure they're super I think what, they're what better make of it? they're better than what they're shown is my point there's some really top class players on that side but they seem a little bit lost in the way they're playing the, the national the problems of the Australian national team are multi-layered Alan's quite right that if we go through, and I'm, you know, I'm sick of talking about hearing my voice on this. We've suffered for 20 years of terrible administration. We've lost, and this is, I'm talking about Australian rugby. We've basically become the third island of New Zealand, a small failed island because we stopped encouraging Australian coaches, the Australian way of playing, and we brought in a whole lot of New Zealanders in administration and in coaching that said, no, we're going to play like New Zealand. And all that that's occurred is we've we've lost our way. What's we've lost our how? How do we play the game? And then you've got the coach education that is focused when we're training coaches on pedagogy. That's how you coach, how you teach, rather than what we teach. So we've got this whole lot of young coaches, super enthusiastic, who are coaching two plus two equals five, and they're coaching it really well, but they've lost the content. They don't know that two plus two equals four. So. You then layer on top of that that the, the the numbers in the men's game, 15 a side game, have hemorrhaged. And basically Australian rugby over 20 years has lied about it or hit it through percentages of growth in the women's game. So the women's game might have grown 30% in a year, the men's game dropped 10%. But those numbers are drastic. Like there might be, might be 2,000 kids less playing and we've got 150 more women playing the game. So the statistics on the women, the growth of the women's game have, have blown away the statistics on the men's game. You add all those things together, then you start changing coaches from Michael Checker to Dave Rennie and, and um, uh, now on to Eddie, all within one World Cup cycle. And the players, the, the good players we have are quite lost. Then you add in that Eddie has made mistakes. That, that game on Saturday, if you had Michael Hooper and Quade Cooper on the bench, two old heads to lead them in the last 20 when the young guys lost their way. As they're going to do, young players will lose their way. And I've got no problems with that. I've got no problems with any blooding young guys. The problem is we've had no consistency of, of selection. We don't know why Hooper was left behind. Hooper should never have been left behind. Quade's different. Quade wasn't playing particularly well, but I still would have included him in the bench. Ben Donaldson hadn't played a game at fullback before the World Cup. I've seen Ben play since he was a kid at Waverley College in Sydney. He's a 10 and he's an excellent 10. But I've never seen him, I don't know if he's ever played a game of fullback before he put on a gold jersey. He may have had a little bit at the Waratahs, but if it is, it's one or two appearances. All those, and then you lose Skelton and we lose a couple of other guys. And you, then you come up against the Fiji who are very, very well prepared by, by a coach, Simon Ralui, who, surprise, surprise, is, born, is a Sydney boy to Fijian parents, came up through the Great Australian System, was educated in the Great Australian System before they tore it apart, then came to Europe to practice his trade, came back to Australia as an assistant coach under Michael Checker, 
and now is using all that knowledge that he gained over that career to get Fiji organised. You have, from the great Australian system, you have Simon, Michael Checker and Eddie Jones all educated in that system. And that system is gone. It's a system I was educated on as player and coach, been pulled apart. So you have a failure of the national system, a failure at selection, and then you also put on top of that that these young players are lost, as Quinny said. They don't, they don't have guidance. They don't, because we can say, how do New Zealand play? We know. How do South Africa play? We know. How do, how do Ireland play? We could all talk about that. How do Australia play? I, I got no idea. It's gone. It's, it's gone in the ether. The third small island of New Zealand is what we've got left. And the, the thing that I take out of this, uh, I don't know if they'll beat Wales, right? It's going to be close. It'll be a great game, be a close game. This is the point where Australian rugby has to put a line in the sand and unite and say, unless we start finding out our why, why is that gold jersey mean so much to us? Besides the baggy green cap of the Australian cricket team, that gold jersey means more to Australians than any other sporting symbol. Why is that diminished? And then our how. How do we play? How is it we expect Wallabies and Australians to play the game? And right now, our how and our why is gone. And that that is the start. That, that's where the rot's got to finish. And I, I, I'm not sure it has. But that, to me, is the point. We, we have got to change. We've got to unite in Australia. We've got to get together. We've got to get away of playing the game. We've got to bring back some old knowledge from the past and put it into the young guys and young coaches for us to move forward. It has to be coordinated. It has to be resourced. If not, Australia are going to drop to a tier two country. That's just the facts. Strong words there, Alan, from Matt. Um, these <clears throat> young players are lost, right? They might well be lost, but they've got talent. Can they turn over wheels? And if so, how? Um, I think just cut out the mistakes and um, I, it, really interestingly I saw um, a tweet from David Campisi, the great Australian winger and uh, he was saying well if you don't have the ball you can't win games. Um, somebody responded saying well just ask France. <laughs> um, but if you're going to kick a lot you've got to really kind of have a plan and a structure when you, number one how you win the ball back in the air, um, territorially. Um, of course, if you're leading in a match, you can kick a lot and you pin the opposition back and force mistakes. That's all very obvious stuff to, to anyone, to any listener or anybody who's into rugby. But they're lacking that little bit of punch and that ruthlessness when they get into attack zones and uh, too loose. And, and, and I just think you, again, Matt, Matt has said it there. It's If you were to analyse Australia, it's hard to kind of figure out what type of game they're playing because they do kick a lot, lot of ball away and... and it, it's probably against her DNA. If you asked me, even a couple of years ago, what what what's what way will Australia play? You'll always have this kind of attack mind mindset associated with them. So, um, again, England have issues around their attack and a lot of kicking. Australia probably not kicking as much, um, but they're just lacking that little bit of ruthlessness and that execution to try and manage score lines and get 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 in good positions for themselves. So they have a number of issues there. Number of really good players on the side. Can they get it fixed this week? I don't know. I think they're better than probably what they showed at the weekend. And sometimes you do learn a lot from defeats, but they've had a lot of kind of bad results in the warm-ups, haven't they? Rugby championship bad results as well. I know they give New Zealand um, in Dunedin in, in 
probably was it the last game or yeah. um they they had a big scoreline there, ended up losing the game to a second string New Zealand side. They probably needed to get over the line and get a result under their belt. I'm sure they're lacking confidence. And I'm not sure, you know, Eddie has got this right. Um he's a lot of critics now and, and he kinda lives by the sword and dies by the sword a little bit, doesn't seem to bother him. But um, I think he's made mistakes with his selections. You know, leaving Cooper, at, um, Quaid Cooper at home, I think was a mistake. I think he can be a bit of a maverick himself and loose at times, but he's a fair bit of experience. And I think Michael Hooper should have been in the squad um, for his leadership, for his presence. But look, who knows if they get Will Skelton back and, and Taniela Tupo, that'd be a huge boost to him. I'm not sure if they're going to be available for the weekend. And I suspect they'll be a lot better against Wales. Um, that's going to be a real tight game and, and certainly one to look forward to. It's do or die. I think Eddie Jones is gone if they lose this game. Um, Seriously? Show's over. Well, we go back to Australia. He keeps saying 2027 World Cup. I, I can't see, you know, the runner results being accepted by, by Australia. I don't know. Again, Matt would know more about this, but there's so much pressure there. He's now, you know, on his departure to the World Cup, he's fighting with journalists. Um, I know it's a difficult job and there's there's a, you know, funny enough, it's kind of, he comes across as the bad guy at times, but he's actually a very nice guy. If you met Eddie Jones and you asked him to, you know, sign something or chat to someone on the phone or do something, I'm not saying that I've done that, but he's always been into his mind games and throwing little barbs out before matches. You remember Johnny Sexton comments a couple of years ago, you know, that he was concerned for his health because he had head knocks and... Then he was talking about Ireland kicking the most in the Six Nations where they're boring to watch, they have no option. Um, it was proven that the stats that Ireland weren't a team to kick the ball most in Six Nations. But anyway, he throws stuff out there, always has done. It's kind of backfiring on you when you... We, the problem you have if you, even in general, if you kind of are slagging people and having to cut off people in sport or life, if things go bad for you, then people disappear a little bit. So he's lost a little bit of support and that bit of goodwill, which adds to the pressure. But um, the plan was here that Australia were going to be ready for a World Cup and they were going to be real candidates. And, I, and, and like I said, 10, 11 months ago, I would have put Australia down as dark horses, given the quality of player that's available to them. But um, we're not seeing it on the field. Matt, do you agree with Alan there? They lose yeah, or Leon against Wales. Is he gone? Well, he'll f finish out the World Cup, I'd say, but I think after the World Cup, there'd be a massive review, and I don't know if, if he'll survive the onslaught of of criticism that will follow. I think I think it's a very fair statement from Alan. Yes, it's a very very fair statement from Alan. So you look, if 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 they said that Dave Rooney, like the team, just lost to to Ireland, uh, you know, played very well against France. He, picked a second team against Italy and they lost by a point. And, and the whole point of picking a second team was you've got to develop. So if you don't give the guys a run for before a World Cup, what do you do? And Dave Rennie was a very nice guy and I thought he was very, very hardly done by it. Because I agree with Alan. The way the draw was, I thought Australia have a really good path to ascending. They then sack him, that's Dave Rennie, bring in Eddie, because Eddie has a very high profile. And as Alan says, an entertaining guy. He's, he's a smart guy and he comes in and he was front page of every paper on every news, been on podcasts, he's in rugby league, he's in AFL, 
and he's talking it up. We're going to do this. I'm going to do that. And that's what he had to do. That's what he was employed to do. That's what the media, the uh, marketing department of the Australian rugby wanted him to do. And he did it. And he did it brilliantly. The trouble is they then lose to Argentina, South Africa, New Zealand, and uh, um, now Wales, uh, uh, Fiji. So if you talk the talk and you don't walk the talk, you're in trouble. And I, I have no doubt that he's in, in deep, deep trouble because um, when you say we're going to do this and I'm going to do that and we're great, and then you leave out one of Australia's most iconic players in the last 20 years in Michael Hooper, great leader who is one of the only players in Australia that is recognisable worldwide and is an inspirational person, um, and then you don't perform, you're under question because they're your decisions. When you're picking a young 10, you've had three games in the championship and you pick a new 10 and you don't pick anyone else and you pick a new fullback and you don't pick anyone else and it all comes back and bites you on the backside, yeah, Eddie is responsible. He, he said he is responsible and I, I admire him for that. And I also admire him for congratulating Fiji straight away, which he did, so let's give him credit. He said, I am taking full responsibility for this. Therefore, if he's taking full responsibility for it at the end of this tournament, it's going to be really, really hard for him. I don't believe in sacking coaches uh, willy-nilly, and I also don't think it's healthy for Australian rugby to go change, change, change. I know it's not for anyone. Look look at what England, happened to England when they got rid of Eddie. It hasn't worked for anyone when they don't. All the, all the countries that are doing well have uh, great um, forward planning and sequences of coaches coming in. Assistant coaches become becoming head coaches. Uh, Galtier was at the last World Cup before becoming head coach. And, uh, Andy Farrell before becoming head coach, stepping through. Foster in New Zealand before coming through. Now it hasn't worked as great for Foster, but you can't say New Zealand a disaster. So Australia has had no forward projection of their coaching for many, many, many years. And that's where the Kiwis have come in and they've been great Kiwis. Like, but it hasn't worked. So again, it's not just one thing with Australian rugby. It's not just, okay, if we do this, it'll fix it. It is on multiple layers that we have to do this. Our high performance department, our, our relationship between the super teams coming up into, into the top, our coaching at all levels and our national coaching at all levels and emerging assistant coaches, complete new staff. All of that hasn't worked. So uh, how you review that and how you then make positive plans because the next World Cup's in Australia and they have to get it right for that financially, for the growth of the game and so on. That That is a very, very big issue. Right, well, we'll see what happens to Australia Rugby and Eddie Jones starting this weekend against Wales in such a crunch game. Right, lads? Oh, by the way, there's pressure on Warren Gatland as well. He's got to get a win, so it's that's what makes it unbelievably intriguing. Um, Subplots all Yeah, the yeah, there is, yeah. So it should be a great game. And, and, and Quinny, you're right, because Wales, Welsh rugby is in an almost identical state to, to Australian rugby. At the provinces, <laughs> at the clubs, numbers coming into the game, finances, the whole bit. Both Wales and Australia uh, are really at low ebbs in, the, in their uh, history. Uh, aside from all that, they could be in a semi-final, either of them. If Wales, yep. if Australia get a result, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah. Easier side of the draw, for sure. That's what makes yeah, this World 100%. Cup so good. Right, lads, we must bring it back to home. Ireland-Safria, game of the tournament so far, I would say. 
going to be certainly. Matt, South Africa have picked their team. It's not often that uh, you look at the bench before the starting team. You've obviously been destroyed a couple of weeks ago by your comments with the 7-1 split. He's gone with it, Razzie and Jack, for this weekend through the power and the tactics that they've used and believe it's enough to beat Ireland. Have you changed your tune through all this, Matt, or which way do you see it with the 7-1 again? It's true. The easy thing for me to say would be to say nothing and just go with it because, you know, we, as you say, the online abuse was ridiculous. But anyway, um, I can't. And I'll tell you why I can't because I played in a game. Or, 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 sorry, I've been playing a club mate of mine, a tight head prop of mine at Sydney University over in the 80s, became a quadriplegic. Name was Grant Harper. I was there that day. And out of respect for his family, I'm not going to tell you what I saw. I'm not going to tell you what the chain, you know, what was happening medically, except it shattered his grand's life. He never walked again, and he shortened his life. He died in 2011. Uh, it was a change room, and, I only th and it really brought a whole lot of things back that I've forgotten over the years. The change room was a disaster. It was people crying. It affected his family for the rest of his life. That They were crushed. The community was shattered. And it wasn't just Grant. So we had this string, and, and, and even Quinny would be too young to notice. We had a string around the world of quadriplegia and paraplegia. It was an epidemic. And it, it, you have to be over 50 to know this because the game, to its great credit, came in and changed all the laws. Now, the, the accidents were not happening at the international level. There's no internationals became quadriplegics. It was the days when the front rows would charge in, right? And so down the ranks in the lower levels of the game, Everyone copied the internationals like they do today. Everyone copies the international lineouts. They copy the breakdown. They copy how how we we, we scrummage. Everything is copied. And it wasn't the internationals who were really strong and powerful. It was the lower levels of the game that were were absolutely decimated by these spinal injuries that shattered lives and families and communities. So why am I saying that I am totally against this South African bench? Is it legal? Yes. Is it smart rugby? For the World Cup, I, I've got to say, yeah, is it good tactics? Yes. But it is not morally correct. What I am saying is if lower levels of the game copy the Springboks, and they will, there are props and second rowers playing in lower levels of the game who, if they're fatigued and the opposition bring on seven fresh forwards and they go for a scrum late in the game knowing that they get a penalty and they can win the game with that penalty, those guys' spines are in, are in trouble. They're in danger. And, and I, I will not be quiet because I, I've seen it. And all of us that have seen it firsthand have a responsibility to remind the next generations, do not go back there. And the South Africans, the, I have great admiration for the Springboks. I admire them as a, as a rugby nation. They were the great, one of the greatest with, with New Zealand in the world. This is not right for the game. It might be right for a test match. It might be right for them to try and beat Ireland. I'm not worried about the health of the Irish players. I am deeply, deeply concerned that at the lower levels of the game, this will be copied. And it won't be on the front page. Some poor player will become a quadriplegic. It won't be on the front page. It won't be all over the newspapers. It's just his club, his community, his family, and him or her that will have to deal with the rest of their life. But, 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 Matt, That's why I oppose it. That's why I oppose it. And I always will. Um, morally correct player safety and winning a World Cup. Where do you well, stand with it all? I, I'm, you know, I obviously, um, 
it's grabbed a lot of attention. I think um, the question is how do Ireland react to that from, from a match of the weekend's point of view. I think if you look at their... They went 6-2 against Ireland last November in Dublin. Um, Ireland went 5-3. Um, the thinking is if they get a couple of backs injuries that Quagga Smith, who's a sevens player as well, can play in the back line. Um, so there's a little bit of risk for them doing that. How do Ireland react to that? I don't have... Look, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Aside from South Africa doing a 7-1 forward scenario, uh, seven forwards, one back, which, look, ultimately it's top-level sport. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I still think that this is going to be looked at in the next couple of years. Not a 6-7-1 split or a 6-2 split or a 5-3 split. Actual substitutions coming on in the modern game because of the, the player safety. There's been a lot of debate and you can look back in the last number of years and people can Google it and check. Lots of ex-pundits have thrown it out there that they're not in agreement with substitutions in, in the, the way they were, the way they are now, where you could you tactically make loads of changes. Mainly because it's something that you're bringing fresh impact on and certain teams have guys on for 65, 70 minutes and you have fresh players coming on who bring exuberance, power, energy, all that kind of stuff. And does it have... I know there'll be more studies and more research done on this. Do, do, do they... Is it kind of a strong, f fresh player against a fatigued player, yeah. essentially? And where does that sit? And does that add to maybe safety issues? I a fresh player is on after 70 minutes. He's charging off the line. His impact is probably more forceful than the player who's on for six that 70 minutes in the opposition. You know, he's probably a little bit fatigued. Probably the front row situation of scrums as well, as Matt talks about. You have a fresh player who's trying to make an impact, and that's understandable. I've been on the bench plenty of times myself for Ireland, and you know, you want to get on and you want to smash someone, you want to make an impact. So that's understandable. So it's a debate that's probably going to come up, aside from South Africa doing this. Maybe this will have more people talking about it. I don't have a problem with it doing it. I think Ireland have got to deal with it. Um, Ireland are ranked number one in the world. I would probably argue that South Africa are, you know, probably more, more from a depth point of view in their 33-man squad or a stronger squad. Um, on the day, you know, we're going to probably debate this game for today and for the rest of the week. Who's going to win it? It's going to be, some people say South Africa, some people say Ireland. Probably more will say South Africa. But... The point Matt is making there um, about club players and stuff, it does repeat itself in, in down the ranks. I do know, though, that, for example, in the All-Ireland League, you can't, um, I'm not exactly sure, but in junior rugby, so my club in Clan William and Tipperary, if I go to see a junior game, I think they're only allowed five subs and they can be floating subs, rotating subs. So uh, because you're amateur players and their guys have got to go to work on Monday, it's not a case of you've 23, 24 subs and you can bring on seven or eight guys at one time. So I think that is controlled a little bit. But there is a danger this can happen in, in, in URC and um, other levels and down to some of the club stuff, the All-Ireland League stuff and like that. So... Um, Morally, is it right or wrong? Yeah, well, I don't know. I've thought a lot about this. I don't have an issue with it. And you know what? I've been on the field playing in my career where three or four guys come on at one time. And, and a lot of the time, I remember playing Ireland and Cork for Munster. And 
it doesn't always work like this. Obviously, there was a couple of us in the Munster squad. This was 99. Uh, Ireland made a probably not a wise decision to go and play the three the three, pro three of the provinces. Um, I don't think they played Leinster. They played Munster, Connacht and Ulster in their warm-up games for that World Cup. And the first one was down in Cork against Munster. And um, well, we were well-renowned for having a good chip on the shoulder. Anyway, down there, there was probably four or five of us who felt we should have been in the World Cup squad. Uh, Mick Galway was our captain. He's crying before the match with bitterness and anger that there's not more Munster fellas in the Irish squad. And we played them and we we beat them and we were fairly pumped for the game. But I remember at one point in that second half, Keith Wood came off the bench, Dion Aquinigan came off the bench, who was a captain, Andy Ward came off the bench, um, one or two others. They brought about five subs on at one time. And I remember going, this is exactly what we need. We need to see these big players coming off the field. It's not going to be the same at the weekend. But my point is, sometimes you can view it whatever you want. And I think Andy Farrell will view this in a way that they've got to just worry about themselves. Obviously be aware and, and, and conscious of the threat and the power. And it's, it's, it's for me, it's the quality of the player that's coming on. It's You're not just bringing on seven forwards that are kind of, there's a, there's a big drop. And that's my point about South Africa's depth. You're bringing in a lot of quality there and that power. So I don't have a problem with it for the weekend. Um, and, you know, it's great. S sometimes South Africa are doing something here that maybe other teams will try and replicate. Um, we, we know what the bomb squad and the 6-2 split did in, in, in Japan from it. It had a, a very positive effect for them. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't have a, pro a pro the same problem with it. But I do think from a player welfare thing, and this, this will come up again, that not just seven forwards coming on the field, but six, five, four, this stuff is going to, I can guarantee you, it will come up for debate again about player safety and protecting people and making the game safer and reducing the impacts and the force of those impacts going forward. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Matt, Alan says for this game, and the professional rugby doesn't have a problem with it, you see that this is good tactics, but do you still have a problem with it for Saturday night? This is a multinational finding a tax loophole, and and they're not, therefore in the eyes of the law they're not doing anything wrong, and they're not. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. And I can see that as a rugby guy, I can see the tactics, and I can see how smart it is. It tells you how South Africa are going to play. That's that, that's no problem. People saying I've got a problem with it, rugby wise. I don't. I, of course, I can see it. It's smart stuff. It's a loophole in the law. Again, let me take you back. 
we had second rowers becoming quadriplegics and paraplegics through scrum collapses. So the idea was right across the board. This is where, this is where the, the law of unintended consequences, the, the good guys that made this law, these laws 30 years ago, had a loose head prop, a hooker, a tight head prop, a second row, a back row, a scrum half, centre three quarter and a back three. So everyone played, there was a replacement for everyone, so no one was, was untrained. Everyone was trained, so no one, the, the chances of getting hurt were minimised because you trained a lot of experiences in those areas. That is why we have the, the bench, right? So that's the, that's the reason. So now that's been, been twisted to use it as a bomb squad. There's a word for you, bomb. Bomb explodes and hurts people. That is a bomb squad that's gonna come on and they're gonna play the game like that. So tactically, is it correct? Is there, a, is there a problem with it in the law? No. I have a grave problem with it morally because, you know, I wonder how the South African management will feel if they find out in a six Ma months. Matt, if, if, Matt if I could ask you, is, is it... A is it down to that, what I'm talking about there, that fresh power coming on as yes. opposed to fatigue player? I think you should clarify that yes. because for the listeners, yes. I yeah. and I get it here, you're going to get criticism for this, but I get it. The player safety stuff is in your mind here. And look, your friend and that you played with um, who suffered a terrible injury, unfortunately, um, that was a terrible experience for you. And obviously, we don't want to see that in the game. We're not going to negate every risk and 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 potential no. injury in a game, but from a moral point of view, I think you're thinking. Just to clarify, this is down to player safety. Fresh player as opposed yes. to fatigue player. Correct? Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely, absolutely. So you have seven really fresh, big, fantastic athletes coming on. They've got a tactic. We're going to scrummage to get penalties. We're going to maul. We're going to kick to the corners. Keep it really tight. Play between the tramp sacks. Great tactics. But against fatigued players, it's it can be dangerous. Now, at international level, they're very fit and very well conditioned. As we drop down in the levels in the game, that is not the case. And my, my grave concern, much, much, much more important than any game of rugby, much, much more important than any game of rugby, is that we'll see an accident because of this tactic in the lower levels of the game. And, and I would urge world rugby to do one thing and how you solve this is one simple thing alan and 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 as you say you've got to have three trained backs on your bench and the problem's over that's all they've got to say now right now it says you've got to have a hooker loose head and tight head trained on your bench that's that's in the laws but all we have to do is add that in and, and the problem solved the, the other part that you're saying are we going to see this because of head injuries and impacts without doubt without doubt we're seeing front rows replaced at 41 minutes so if you're a prop now, you're only playing half a game. There's no, the fatigue is minimised. So you've got these constantly big guys, constantly, most powerful dudes on the field are always fresh. There's no fatigue. That stops, also, that's not the way the game was designed to be. It was meant to be a game of fatigue. You had to be fit and you had to deal with the fatigue mentally and physically. That was part of the challenge. So yes, I see all of those things being addressed in the time to come. It, it was, right now, it, so all it, the South Africans, before, before the South Africans start abusing you, which, you know, look, if you're going to abuse me, you would do it. And I'll cop it. And I'll cop it in the name of Grant Harper, or the guy that became a quad. That's why I'm saying it. I'm not saying it because I'm anti-South African. I'm saying it because I never want to see anyone go through what he and his family went through and our club went through. Right? That's, that's got to stop. 
You can't take all problems out of the game. And I love that about rugby's for risk takers. We love the contact. I love, I love that. I love seeing it. There's people out there that just, that's, that's in us. That's not what I'm saying. This is player safety. And on player safety, there's moral issues. We are all responsible for player safety. Not just, I'm not just responsible for my team. The other side is doing it. Ben Darwin was in a scrum against the All Blacks on, on the Sydney Olympic Stadium and he got in trouble. His neck got in a bad spot. He just got in trouble. It's players in a war, test match and he called out Mayday, which is the signal we have in the front row if you're in trouble. And the New Zealand pack stopped pushing. And Ben quite openly says he felt if they didn't, he would have been in serious trouble. So that, that there's a great rivalry between a, and, and, you know, at times it gets out of rivalry and a hatred between a black jersey and a gold jersey. And they know it's more than a game. Spinal injury is more than a game. And we all have to have responsibility for that in the game. And if this generation has forgotten it, because they don't see it, because what the, the, the administrators did in the 90s is so good, we don't see it anymore. That's great. Let's not go back there. Please, 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 please. Let's do everything we can to not go back to those days. Please. It is beyond tragic what I played through. So we didn't have one guy. We had, we had maybe 10 people through Australian rugby in a matter of two years, three years become quadriplegics. Let's not go back there. And we, we can probably say, though, Matt, in fairness, um, on the flip side of that, again, these injuries or accidents can happen. But your point, your point is, how can we reduce them? And yes. I think it's important. And they were reduced, and, and, they were reduced. Yeah, and I think it's important without labouring this point because we've got to move on, I think, from Stuart is ready to go. It wasn't that long ago, Stuart and Matt, that to, to make a substitution in a game, it had to be for an injury only. Absolutely. There's, there's a chance in the future we could go back to that scenario. Now, there's a lot of players, someone like Sean Croner won't mind me saying it, he's got 60 or 70 caps for Ireland. There's a good few of them off the bench because... Um, so players like Sean or me who came off the bench for a good few times for Ireland wouldn't wouldn't like that new scenario. So it could punish people about getting caps as well. But look, there may be some sort of restrictions. Um, but this weekend, I love Razzy Rasmus and, and Jack Nienenbar. I think they're brilliant coaches. Um, South Africa have been a special team. They're so well coached. Felix Jones in there as well. We've got to men mention Felix. They're an incredibly strong squad who were so well coached. Um, so let's see um, if they get any backline injuries, Stuart, they could have problems, but they're willing to take it's a risk either way. But Ireland a, have got to focus on themselves. Yeah, it is a risk either way, but player safety is the most important thing. We must be clear on that. Look, you said Ireland must focus on themselves. What will they react? Simon Easterby has just confirmed there they will go for the conventional 5 3 split on the bench. So, your first take from that reaction? My first take is great. Um, you may not be able to cope with what comes on or you may may be able to. And, you know, I think this is down to their conditioning, their fitness levels as well. As I said, I've been on the field um, for, for Munster or Ireland or even when I played with Shannon and that there's loads of subs coming on. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win the game for the opposition. Mm -hmm. The idea to mm -hmm. making changes is is impact. So Ireland, I like, I and, and part of me thinking about this since yesterday was Ireland got to back themselves here. You You... No matter what happens against South Africa, you're going to get a physical approach. You're going to get strong players. You're going to get quality players coming up against you. And 
even the, the, the way Ireland play, they've got to play to their strengths. They can't get into this slowing the game down and kind of worried about lots of different things. They'll drive themselves demented otherwise. And they've shown the last 80 months, they're a pretty mature side, they've a lot of experience, they're a very good side. They've got to make Ireland, and in fairness, Rassi was very complimentary about what Ireland, I don't think he was being patronising, I think he was being honest. The evidence is there, the way they play. If you underestimate Ireland and allow them play, you're going to struggle to get the ball back off them. So it's a, it's a statement that Ireland are going to focus on themselves and their game. Jack Conan won't be available. Not available. So, well, who are you going to put on the bench then? You're probably, I suspect um, it'll be Joe McCarthy and, and Ian Henderson um, will be will be the two on the bench. Because if Jack Conan is not available, the, the you know, you've, you've, uh, Josh, yeah. uh, Ryan, Baird would, Ryan Baird would have been the other back row option. But I think... Um, the the thing with the thing Ireland can do here, uh, Matt, is they can put Joe McCarthy and Ian Henderson on the bench, and if a back row goes down, they can bring Tyke Byrne into the back row. They can also go exactly. they can also go Ryan Baird on the bench for sure. But I just think it'd be a big call to leave Henderson out of there, and then the actual temptation to have Joe McCarthy in there because he loves the rough and tumble, and he's one hundred and twenty kilos, and he's He's probably Ireland's John Klein, if you like, size-wise and physical-wise, from a physical point of view. So, And I think that was the idea of starting him against Romania a few weeks ago. So I suspect, again, speculation, Ryan Baird could be in there. He's a wonderful player. I'm a big fan of his. But if Jack Conner is not in the mix, I think your back row will be Peter O'Mahony, Caelan Doris, Josh van der Fleer. Second rows will be James Ryan and Tyke Byrne. If something happens, a back row player, I think Henderson... Um, or, or Joe McCarthy come on and, and Ty Bourne can slot into the back row. Matt, if Ireland are to beat South Africa, how do you see them doing it? And also it's good to see, I think, Finley Bainham's going to be fit and hopefully Shane's good to go, but we'll get more on that tomorrow when the team's actually officially announced. We themselves, the fact that we've heard they're just going to do what they always do, that's it. Keep being yourself, because the way... Some teams have a way of playing that other teams don't like. And South Africa don't like the way Ireland play. Now, you play South Africa five times, you're not going to boot them five times. We boot them last November. How did they boot them? Fast rucks, early scores. Early scores put scoreboard pressure on South Africa. Against New Zealand, this uh, in Christchurch in the championship. New Zealand, early scores, 18 points in the first 20 minutes. South Africa don't like chasing it, but they do come back. Same as they did against Ireland. Versus the Wallabies in Adelaide uh, a year ago, Australia scored, played fast ruck, scored early, put scoreboard pressure on them. To beat South Africa, you, it's very hard to come from behind against South Africa. Very, very hard. You, they get out in front, they strangle the game, that bench comes on, they just keep it between the tram tracks, they'll maul you, they'll scrum for penalties, kick for the corners, take the three, they're on. Ireland, if they can score early and keep the pace of the game up and match them in the set plays, they play a game that, that unsettles South Africa. They don't like it because they can get the ball. The, the Felix Jones defence is brilliant, and I, I agree with Quinny that it is brilliant defence. It's compacted, so in other words, they leave 30 metres free, and that's like a lure on a fishing rod for the fish. Go on, you take that, see what happens. Scotland tried to do it by long pass, long pass, 
and Jesse Creel and uh, the wingers just cut him off. On the second long pass, go long pass to Finn Russell, long pass, bang. And that's where Creel got into trouble with a high shot. We saw that time and time again. The Scots were going long pass, long pass, they couldn't do it. Ireland's play is very different. And it can get to there. It can also kick behind because they give you lots of space behind, lots of space out wide. And they, I also suspect we'll see a lot of high balls. South Africa's bench has got no one in the back three. Now, you, you've got Ryan Ardu can play on the wing, but no one would. He's a very, very good international nine. He'd probably be an average winger. And they're all pretty short men, depending on, especially if you're going to Colby. I suspect a lot of kicks because any injury to the back three or any card to the, to the um, South African back three, and South Africa, all of a sudden, that bench becomes a real problem for them. So what do you do? You know, you don't, you don't want to keep going at their forwards because they've, they've got about 30 of them. You want to go at their backs because they haven't got many. Any, any error from their backs, any injury, any error, they're going to pay dearly. That suits Ireland. So while you pick a bench like that for South Africa, okay, you're saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to maximise my strengths. And I get that, and that's good tactics. Your opposition goes, okay, where's their weakness? What do they not want? So all tactics, all good tactics in rugby are you give your opposition what they don't want. And I suspect that Ireland's play and Sexton's kicking, Jamison Gibson's park, ability to put pace on the game are all things that South Africa don't want. And especially what South Africa don't like is early scoreboard pressure. As I said, those three games they lost, they're behind. They don't, they, their game is not designed to chase. So let's, let's see. I think it's going to be an uh, absolutely fascinating game. Fascinating. And I think the winner of that game has a, has a very, very good path to the final. Uh, and and it's, look, in these games, these big games coming up and the quarters and the semi, not, not the semi so much, but the quarters on that side of the pool, on Ireland and South Africa side of the pool, these are going to be won by millimetres, by inches, by, by one error or one flash of brilliance. That these are going to be really, really tight, close games that I don't think anyone can predict with any great certainty. Uh, and, and that makes brilliant drama and brilliant, brilliant rugby. Alan, just picking up on Matt there, do you see pace, tempo? South Africa won't <laughs> like that at all. Is that how you see it as well? Or will Ireland also kick early as well? Well, they've got to be patient too. You know, uh, South Africa are very good at... Um, you know, countering teams trying to play against them. So their their breakdown presence is exceptional right across the board. I think Scotland got caught a couple of times out in those wider channels. So if you get edges, you've got to resource them um, because they're very aggressive in their counter rocking. And so Ireland have got to be, you know, get their numbers to the ball, support each other, have that anticipation. If somebody gets a little half break, that there's someone there to resource that rock. I think Ireland, um, Again, in trying to focus on themselves, they're that you know, they've got to build phases and ask questions, and and you know they'll they're a difficult side to play against too, but you know it isn't all about chaos and pace and running and going crazy with the ball for Ireland to beat South Africa. They've got to be controlled as well. One part of that is sometimes the kick tennis that happens. You've got to be patient and stay in that, and don't kind of bite down. South Africa will try and get kind of options of getting lineouts in your half, um, hoping that you kick it out. If it goes back into your 22, that you'll kick it straight out and they get the lineout. 
then they can kind of force them all, try and get a penalty, get something off that. Then they're putting that one into the corner, which is 10 yards out from your line. And then they just kind of come alive. So the, the more times you can avoid that, it isn't always easily to avoid it. Everybody loves to get that penalty that you're kicking into the corner um, to attack off. Um, what about an attack when Peter Steph the toy leads the line defence, you know, when the wingers fly up? Is it a bit of extra depth or is it a lot more complicated it's, than that? It's being controlled and not being afraid to take contact as well and, and, and not force it. You know, if you force the pass and it goes loose, well, it's a win for South Africa. So you've got to be ready to roll up your sleeves here. You're playing against a very powerful physical side. So um, I think the first 20 minutes in Dublin last year, Ireland had to kind of hang on by their coattails a few times early on. There was, you know, one outrunners coming around the corner with a, a latch nearly on, on their back, trying to propel them over the gain line. Ireland kind of met that force head on, um, didn't allow them to get real big gain lines and, and competed and, and won a few turnovers. Um, so they were battering at Ireland for 15, 20 minutes. And that was real, it's a standout period in, in that game. Ireland got control then and started to control the game. It was six all at half time. Then you got the the Mac Hansen try and there was another try, two tries. Sorry, I'm gone blank. Um, after half time in Ireland, kind of was for sixteen six. Then South Africa get back. They get a try from from Mustard, and then Ireland get another penalty and and Aaron's, uh, scores in the end. But um, Ireland managed that game really well. That was their first game of the season. It was South Africa coming off the back of, of a rugby championship and stuff. It's it's in Dublin. It's a different scenario. This is in France. It's a neutral ground. Um, I think South Africa um, are are a brilliant side. And I, as I said earlier, they've they've they're so well coached. So for Ireland to have any chance of beating South Africa, which they have a great chance, they've got a lot of do a lot of stuff right themselves. They've got to win their own lineout. Their lineout up to last weekend was, you know, they were losing a couple of lineouts in a game in games, which can be costly. Um, but I think the the mindset has kind of shifted, the gears have changed a little bit now. They'll know what's coming here, but they've got to be precise in the lineouts and uh, dare I say get their scrum right as well. So there's a lot of stuff here for Ireland to play well and to be in with a position to hurt South Africa. They've got to be good at the, the, the important parts of the game, which is your set piece, your breakdown. And then when you don't have the ball, you've got to man up and be physical and put in the tackles. Um, we have a lot of abrasive, hard, physical players on our side, um, and they're going to be tested this week. This is this is top-notch stuff. This is probably, you know, with France, they're the, France, South Africa, Ireland are the three best teams in the world. They're probably the three. Uh, one, of, one of them will win the World Cup. Um, we're nervous still about dreaming about that scenario because you know we've never done it before. South Africa have they have a con huge confidence and belief, and this is this is their this is what they're here for. So um, it's going to be a very difficult game, and South Africa are so effective at what they do. And there is a misconception that South Africa just kicked the letter off the ball, and and like well, when you look at Cheslin well. Ch Colby well, yeah. and 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 Aronsa and Damien Willemsa, you kick loosely to Willemsa and invite him to run back at you. He's a serious stepper, as are the two wingers. So if you're isolating James Lowe or Mac Hansen against Aronsa and, and 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 Colby one on one, and you're not hunting on the inside supporting him, you're in big trouble. So they have X factor players that can do unbelievably 
special things. But Ireland's collective has got to be really good. And, um, you know, I'm confident that they can do well. They're, they, they should be confident themselves. And they've kind of made the statement to say, we're not reacting to what New Zealand are doing here. We're reacting to what we believe we need to do and what's best for us. You've teed it up perfectly. Matt, before we go, the two big predictions I want out of you this weekend. Australia, Wales, Ireland, South Africa. Oh, well, Stewie. They're, they're just, who knows? Who knows? That's why I asked um, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, there. Isn't it great that, that, that we, we, we don't know? Isn't it great, like, we, we're saying, well, wow, like, no, Ireland definitely going to win this game. If they're playing England, you'd say they're definitely going to win. South Africa, a great team, and their, their, their game plan is made for World Cups. Because it's just so low risk, so uh, based on power, and the laws support them, everything supports them there, and they've got these geniuses on the wings, and they turn that on and off like a tap every now and then, bang, there's this flash of brilliance. They score. However, they have lost to France, they have lost to New Zealand, and they have lost to Ireland in the last 12 months. Ireland are the opposite. They've beaten New Zealand, beaten France, beaten South Africa in the last 12 months. And I, I think Ireland are capable. They're definitely capable of winning this game. It's going to be close. I, I think it's not, I'm not saying this is a long way. No way. This is on a cigarette paper. But I've got to say that I think uh, Ireland can win this game and I think they're ready for it. I think they're primed for it and I think they can, that this is their time has come. And I, I, I really believe that. As far as Australia and Wales goes, two countries in crisis. Two countries in crisis. Wales have probably got a little bit more belief and momentum because they've won the last two games. And I think Wales should win this, but I, I just... I just can't go against Australia because I know how devastating this will be for the game in Australia if they lose. Like, you know, you talk about desperation. This is as desperate as I've ever seen Australian rugby needing a win as in my lifetime. I have never seen it so desperate. And that will put pressure on that young team. Uh, I'm just hoping they can respond. But again, a very, very close game with two teams that are lost absolutely lost the, the totally opposite to what we're talking about from south africa and, and ireland the two great teams playing phenomenal rugby really well coached brilliant game plans all maximizing their strength so close here we have two countries that are lost two teams that are lost but fighting for a win uh obviously in australia lose they're out they're on the plane in two weeks and and if uh wales are already pretty much guaranteed a quarter but this this will Absolutely, put it beyond doubt. So, but I, I just think Australia just—it's just so desperate. No so Australia and Ireland, you're saying? No prediction <laughs> no there. Prediction no, there. no prediction. It was can, and I, I just, didn't hear the word just will. Just a bit of history there. Come on, <laughs> Matt. Who's going to win? Can. History teaching can, me. Can can no, can. That's can. a fence setting Don't job. Not all you gamblers That's, do not follow what I said. That's quite rich from Quinny. Quinny, what oh, about yeah. your predictions? Well, Ireland can win, and and and, and Australia can win as well. Will that do you? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? No, or what are you saying? of course Ireland can win. I think um, I'm very nervous about this. It's kind of like the player in me. If I say Ireland will win, am I kind of putting a curse on them? No, I, it's I just I just think South Africa are so efficient at what they do that I think we may come up a tiny little bit short. Okay, so um, South Africa for you. 
but it's not the end of the world if that happens because mm. New Zealand beat South Africa in in the in in the first game in in Japan, their first game in Japan, two thousand nineteen. Obviously, South Africa went on to win it then, so it's not doom and gloom. I just think maybe that they might snuffle Ireland's play out, and if I if we can't, um, I, I obviously I I still believe Ireland are capable of winning that, but I just think maybe that's maybe negative. Ireland, maybe South Africa by a couple of points, and I think Australia will beat Wales because I think if. They have no choice but take off the shackles a little bit and go for it. Um, although, in saying that, and Wales, are, there's not a lot being said. They got through Fiji. Um, part of my South Africa stuff is coming from South Africa beating Wales so convincingly in that warm-up game, that last warm-up game. Um, Wales are in a bit of trouble, um, but I, I believe they're a very fit side. And if they... You know, Warren Gatlin is obviously under a bit of pressure as well to get these guys performing, given what happened in the Six Nations and stuff. So I just think, feel again, you're splitting, you're flicking a coin in both games. I go South Africa, Australia. Well, the longest predictions ever, man. And I hope I'm wrong in both of them because I would like Wales to win. Sorry, Matt, <laughs> because there are neighbours. I have a good few. I have a few Australian friends as well, but um, and obviously I'd like Ireland to win. Okay, well, let's hope you two are still speaking this time next week. Boys, being a cracker as always, don't forget what a couple of days rugby we have, but it all starts tonight as Italy take on Uruguay and Virgin Media. Thanks as ever, Alan and Matt. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.